0: I believe it's the President of the United States that gives a uh, State of the Union address every year to Congress and gathered elected officials and appointed officials. Uh, This morning, I want, if you will, to give a little bit of a State of the Union. Uh, We're uh, coming out of the pandemic time, which definitely affected a lot of church and church ministries, Uh, East White Oak, no exception, but I do want to share with you uh, some things about what's going on here at East White Oak as well as a vision of our church so that you kind of know what we're about and what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, As I think about that, there's some things that immediately come to your mind. I (laughs) I was doing a wedding a number of years ago. I was actually conducting the wedding with another fellow Uh, another pastor from another church and right before we were to step out before the you know the bride comes down and everything right before that he whispered over to me I'm resigning from my church tomorrow I said oh really why is that he said I didn't give enough get enough of the three ends three ends what's that he says numbers nickels and noise and sometimes that's how we measure church effectiveness, right? How many people are going, how much money's coming in, how much noise is being generated. You know? And uh, I would say that those things are not inconsequential. They're important. Uh, East White Oak is growing in numbers in this post-pandemic period. We're glad for that. Generally, our offerings are, are, are doing well, although last month was terrible. <laughs> um, And I think there's generally a a wonderful spirit here that I am so thankful for to see how God is at work. But more than that, what I wanna talk about is where we go from here and who we are as a church. This really is a message that I think literally could be shared about every three months because we become so forgetful. Uh, It never gets old, it never loses its impact. It's a message like all messages from Scripture. It deserves to be embraced rather than merely understood. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. Acts two, 42 through 47, we will look at this text and we will kind of bounce around it today. Uh, We're not gonna go straight from verse 42 through 47 as is my habit, but rather look at who we are as a church in our vision, and then see how it connects to what happened in the first church. So, would you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Please have a seat. Well, every Sunday, just about, I begin our service by saying welcome to East White Oak Bible Church where we are seeking to be worshipers maturing in Christ. This is not just a label. It's not just an introduction. It's what we all believe as the elders of East White Oak are called for our church to do and to be seeking to be worshipers, maturing in Christ. Now, you'll see that through this text. For example, just the devotion, the word devotion in verse 42 suggests worship, and the worship expands in verse 43, awe came upon every soul, the real deal done by real apostles doing even greater works than the works of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, uh, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And then verse 47, it, it concludes with this idea of worship, praising God and having favor of all the people. East White Oak has this same ambition of seeking to be Worshippers maturing in Christ. Now, when we think about this, we have to understand that we aren't there yet, but it is forward focused. We have a tremendous history. Uh, 130 years ago, in this very month, there were a bunch of farmers building a building on this corner. That's a pretty exciting thing to think about. But we don't look back at the past and say how great that was and then have no impact on what it means for where we are going. It's seeking to be forward focused, aspirational, visionary, what we strive to be. That we don't just say, well, the glory days of the past, how wonderful that is but rather we say lord may it be so that our greatest days as worshipers lie in the future worshipers that means that all of life is an act of worship it's not just what we do on sunday morning all of life Think about what Jesus said to the woman at the well. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. He's seeking people who will worship Him. So just as the Father is seeking people to worship Him, we're seeking to be worshipers. There's a reciprocity there, right? We seek to be worshipers. So this is the who. We are seeking to worship God. I love the verses that we began our service with. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Have you ever been in a spot where you didn't have any water? and it was getting worse and worse, and you were worried about whether you would get enough water, that's the same kind of seeking to worship that we need to have as our, just as much as our flesh would seek for water when we have none. That passage goes on to say, My soul clings to you. First Chronicles 16, verse 29, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name, Bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. This seeking to be worshipers maturing in Christ is not the building of our own kingdoms. It is rather actively making all of life into worship, a declaring of God's worth. So we should not think of worship as something that happens merely on a Sunday morning, and particularly, may you just know my heart here. Music is part of worship, but it is not worship. It's part of it. So, don't go home today and say, you know, the sermon wasn't all that great, but the worship was great. No, don't, don't say that. All of life is to be a worship. Music is a part of our worship, but don't equate it with worship. So this is the who. We we seek to be worshipers. Now let's think about that phrase, maturing in Christ. That's the what. Our destination is maturity in Christ, with Christ as our head, Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present Everyone mature in Christ. Well, wow, that's a big ambition. That's why it's our focus. Everyone mature in Christ. Hebrews 6 Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells the story of the sower and the seed, and he talks about the seed that falls among the thorns, and he says That's those who hear, and they go on their way, choked by the cares and riches of this world, and their fruit does not mature. But those that are where the seed falls on good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, there are some of us who are more seasoned than others, and you might say, oh, you know, that's great. Pastor Scott, preach it. These young people need that. <laughs> I pay attention. Because there's something that's an invitation for those of you who are more seasoned, too. Psalm 92 has this beautiful text about a worshiper the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in the Lebanon they are planted in the house of the Lord they flourish in the courts of our God listen to this psalm 92:14 they still bear fruit in old age they are ever full of sap and green Oh, may it be our ambition for as long as we live that we are engaged in this wonderful, magnificent ambition, seeking to be worshipers, maturing in Christ, helping others to come to know Him and to love Him and embrace Him, full of sap and green, right? You know? What an invitation. And so as we think about our focus this morning, Don't just think of it as a way that Scott starts the service every Sunday. The Lord, the Lord is calling you to be a worshiper maturing in Christ. Can we say our focus together? Seeking to be worshipers maturing in Christ. Now, there's some ways that we have vital signs that measure our focus. Much like there's a a way you can check your pulse or do blood pressure or check your temperature that measure the health of a person, there are vital signs that measure how we're doing it, seeking to be worshipers maturing in Christ. And we have three of them. They are all related to a tree. You know, it's East White Oak after all. Um, And so we talk about roots and then the flourishing of the tree, and then the fruit that the tree bears. And so those three are rooted in Scripture, growing in Christ, making disciples. So let's think about those three vital signs. The first one, rooted in Scripture. This is an unflinching commitment to the Word of God. The roots are what provides our foundation. And the key word here is in, taking in the Word of God. James 1.25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, taking in the Word of God. Here's authority. That's where our authority comes from. It's not in people's opinions. And here, by the way, in Scripture is an authoritative word, not an authoritarian word, in church history, when the devotion to Scripture stalled, the church died. And you can see that all over the, pl- the, 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 the present uh, time as well. When devotion to the Word of God dies, the church dies. Rooted in Scripture means that we grow in our real use of the Bible, not just in our saying that we use the Bible, but in our real use of Scripture. We grow in a working knowledge of things like the Bible's events and persons and themes. We we grow in clarifying Christian beliefs in contrast to current worldviews and philosophies. We know how to explain the way of salvation using Scripture. We're able to recall from memory some key verses of Scripture and explain why those verses are important. Just a couple of years ago, as a church, we memorized different verses every month that were some key Scriptures that your church elders believed that every member of our church should have in their memory banks. We learn how to do Bible studies, inductive Bible studies and the like. We know how to look to the Bible for guidance on things like life issues of parenting, marriage, finances… We're able to identify key doctrines of the faith and grow in our appreciation of them. Rooted in Scripture means a devotional time in the Word and prayer, spending time in God's Word, memorizing Scripture, putting on the full armor of God. To that end, each year we usually have some method of Bible reading, and we have a Bible reading plan that we encourage the church to do together. And I Uh, Only half uh, was joking when I thought to say here at this point, because I want to take a survey of you in terms of our E100 Bible reading plan. Uh, I want to say every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, you know. The reason is because those of you who are participating could falsely feel pride in that, and those of you who aren't may be using another plan, and I don't want you to feel guilty even if you're not, I rather want to encourage you in this, but we want to know how well we're doing on this. So if you're using the E100 plan, if you'd slip up your hand right now. Okay, there's a... Okay, thank you. Appreciate the information because it helps us know what we can do going forward in terms of helping people read the Bible. The, The second vital sign that measures how well we're doing as worshippers maturing in Christ is what we call growing in Christ. You can see it right here in verse 42, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's rooted in Scripture. And then the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. These constitute a, a sign, a vital sign of growing in Christ. The key words here are with, growing with one another, up with Christ. The fellowship is both vertical and horizontal. Let's think for a moment about this vertical fellowship with God. Together, the first church cultivated a communion, a relationship, a fellowship with her Lord. This was not merely attending a service. It was engaging, being a part, sensing the very purpose for which we are made. The breaking of bread, while it has a horizontal dimension of human interaction, of sharing meals with one another, I think the primary focus here is upon the vertical, uh, remembering what our Lord did for us by celebrating the Lord's table. Very early on, the church was devoted to remembering Christ's death in this way, because Christ's death was the event that brought salvation for us all. These words are all, uh, in verse 42, all attached with the word the, the apostle's teaching, authoritative word of God, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Uh, Perhaps some specific prayers were offered. The Jews uh, had specific times for prayer each day. It would make sense that the early church, this first church, would use that form to shape its prayer times as well uh, and probably used what's called the Amidah, as a way of shaping their praying. Regardless of that, the first church and the early church was shaped by a remarkable devotion to prayer, Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. The apostles said in Acts 6.4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Paul says to the Romans, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. He advises, in fact, commands the Colossians, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And to the Ephesians, he says, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So growing in Christ represents becoming mature believers, growing in and through and toward Christ. One of my favorite verses that I pray for my grandchildren is 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a great prayer for us to pray for ourselves as well, and a great prayer to pray for the folks in our church. Growing in Christ means a relationship with Christ. It means a continuing life of repentance and faith and submission. How many of you have sinned since you put your faith in Christ? Okay, one or two of you. You know what that means? That means that we should be continually offering a life of repentance then. You know, of the 95 theses that uh, Martin Luther posted on the church door at Wittenberg, the first one says, Let the Christian know that his entire life should be one of repentance. So we, we have this life of repentance and faith and submission. We're not just sorry for our sin, or even less that sorry that we got caught. Rather, we face our own sinful hearts, reject our pride of self-justification, and turn our passions toward the honor of Christ's name. Our faith isn't just positive feelings about Jesus or mere agreement to facts, it's trusting in and relying on the person of Jesus Christ to save us from our sin and believing that his resurrection assures us of our own resurrection one day. Faith goes even further to trusting Christ as a living person that engages all of our intellect and our emotions and our wills. Growing in Christ means our submission is first to Christ as the head of the church. But submission extends to every area of our lives, doesn't it? Submission involves family relationships, how children submit to parents, wives to husband. It involves submission to church leadership. It involves submission to the world at large, submission to authorities. The growing disciples' life is a life of submission. So, growing in Christ means a growth in learning how to be submissive. Uh, Growing in Christ also means a love and worship of God, really seeking Him, not just asking Him for stuff. That we really do love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Truly engaged seeing opportunities for praise in all of life. And growing in Christ means a deepening understanding of what our union with Christ means. We are joined with Jesus, joined with Christ, and how much he loves us. Think of the great illustrations of the Bible in comparing the church's relationship to our Lord Jesus. A building with a foundation, a wife to a husband, a living being to its food, a vine with its branches, a head with a body. (laughs) These are illustrations that show how intimate and dynamic the union is that God's people have with her Savior and her Lord Jesus. We are crucified with Him. We have died with Him. We are buried with Him. We are made alive with Him. We are raised up with Him. And praise the Lord. One day, we will appear with Him in glory. Rooted in Scripture, growing in Christ, and now the bearing of fruit, the making of disciples. Now this week and next, I said we're... Weeks where we're going to be laying out this vision, this week I'm talking about the vision of our church, next week we're going to be talking in a way of introducing our missions conference, a vision for missions. This vital sign of making disciples, the making of more disciples, is a measuring stick of the reality of our worship. Notice verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The believers were together, they had all things in common, and the Lord added together those being saved. Worship and fellowship, rightly done, produce evangelism. Our commission from Christ is clear. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We begin in our own Jerusalem, and we extend to the ends of the earth." Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. The theme of our missions conference coming up in a couple of weeks, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Making disciples means a true believer's ambitions are changed. The ambition now is not to live a relatively peaceful, upper-middle-class life. It is rather to glorify God by making disciples. This means that making disciples forms an essential part of the believer's life. Maturity in making disciples goes beyond knowing. It extends to actually doing the sharing of our faith. Now, there's several abilities that need to be honed. We have to have the ability, for example, to be able to share our own testimony, to tell our own story succinctly of what our life was like before we trusted Christ, how it was that we came to trust Christ, and what our life is like now that we have trusted Him. It requires the ability to use some tool to share the gospel. There's many available for use here at East White Oak, and we have trained people in a variety of them. Some uh, are more preferable to some than others, and that's why we try to present a whole bunch of them to you so that you might latch on to one or two of them and actually use them and engage them. It requires having a teachable spirit, doesn't it? We can't pretend to be know-it-alls before a watching world, but we should seek to learn about people and to love them. Uh, Making disciples is not done in a vacuum. It requires a team of prayer supporters. Nobody can do evangelism alone. It requires the ability to mentor others and the ability to discern in whom to invest one's life, and it requires the development of deliberate and purposeful relationships with non-Christians. It means that we grow in our own decision-making that's based on biblical principles rather than our personal gratification. So we grow in our sensitivity to the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, submitting our lives to the Lordship of Christ. It's a life that's not fault-finding, arrogant, or holier than thou, but a life that exhibits grace toward others this grace-filled life recognizes that people who do not know Jesus will not behave like Jesus. Are we prepared to have people come here to our worship service who will not behave like Jesus? (laughs) Because that's what non-Christians, people that don't know Jesus, will do. This grace-filled life recognizes that people who do not know Jesus will not behave like Him We think of others first and don't make personal preferences the measure of fellowship. We have a world Christian perspective and a concern for the poor. In relation to that, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have experienced ups and downs in your Christian life? Raise your hand if you've had a few ups and downs. Okay, a few people. Yeah. Has it ever happened to you when you happen to be on a down in your Christian experience that somebody asked you, hey, and probably usually with a smiley, excited voice, hey, tell me what the Lord Jesus is doing for you. And you got nothing. What do you tend to do? What you tend to do is you kind of go back and you go, well, you know, three years ago God did blah, blah, blah. You know, you kind of recall something back in the dim past, you know, If we're gonna make disciples, friends, we need to not just think about what Jesus did for us years ago, but we ought to be ready at any moment with joy to be able to say, here's what Christ is doing for me right now, and I can't wait to tell you about it. That's a commission from Jesus. So, this is our focus, seeking to be, uh, be worshipers maturing in Christ. And these are the vital signs that help us measure how well we're doing at worshiping. Rooted in Scripture, growing in Christ, making disciples. Now you might be asking the question, well, how does East White Oak construct itself in such a way to produce this? How do we do that? I'm so glad you asked because we have three pathways to maturity. The first church had three pathways to maturity. Uh, First thing I want you to notice is in verse 44, all who believed were together. Verse 46, day by day attending the temple together. There's another place actually in the original where the word together appears in this section. The reason is because the means by which we achieve this focus and come to these vital signs is through relationship. Relationship with Christ and relationship with one another. Think relationship. Let's not rush past this point. Biblical Christianity is relational. Day by day and not just hit and miss. And by the way, hit and miss is happening more and more these days. Uh, The definition of what a regular church attender is is very different now than 35 years ago when I first became a pastor. When I first became a pastor regular attendance at church was like every Sunday and you never missed, okay? Now it's like, well, 50%. Um, This is is not the first church. In fact, things were so exciting that no one wanted to miss a thing and they were meeting every day together in the temple courts. Has it ever happened to you When, uh, you know, winter's coming and we're going to end up probably, for weather purposes, at some point, cancel church. Has it ever occurred to you when that happens, you go, oh, good, I don't have to go to church today? Well, that's exactly the opposite of what was happening in the first church. They couldn't wait to get together again. Why was that? Was it because of the brilliant sound and light show that was going on? Was it because of the brilliance of the preaching and teaching? The incredible programs that were being offered to people of all ages? No. It was the simple fact that Jesus had died for their sins. He had risen from the dead, and he had given them the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they just could not get over that. So, what we do at our weekly Sunday worship is what the first church was initially doing every day, large group worship, meeting in the temple area. There was thousands of people. Not everybody knew each other's names, but it was a way in which they could sing and pray and hear the Word of God together in a large group gathering, and that indeed is a beautiful and wonderful thing, and it's what we're doing right now, and isn't it a beautiful and wonderful thing that we get to do this? But you'll notice that they did something more than doing that. You will see that they broke bread in their homes. That there was some way in which they were having both Bible fellowship and small groups. If you look back one chapter to chapter 1 verse 13, you'll see that there's some guys in the upper room and verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That's a, that's a small group meeting. And then verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So that's the medium-sized group that we're talking about here. So there's large groups. There's a medium-sized group that we call Bible fellowships. And small groups. Now I'm gonna show you some pictures here of Pompeii. I do that not because Pompeii's near Jerusalem, it's hundreds of miles away, but Pompeii got destroyed in the first century uh, by a volcano and as a result, everything was kind of left in place so you can kind of see more physically what it was like uh, to have buildings in the first century. So here's a street and here's another picture of a street. And here's something that's kind of interesting. Uh, the wheel ruts from the carts that went through the city over and over and over in the same place after he actually put a groove in the, in the stone. Um, here's a house that was just left there from this volcanic uh, activity. And the inside of this building, you can see, uh, could easily hold uh, 60 to 100 people. And so, what was going on in the first church was that people were meeting in small groups and in medium sized groups, even as they were meeting together in the temple area in large groups. And so if you look at this model of the Temple of Jerusalem, you can see the Temple Mount there where thousands of people could gather and you also see homes right here on the slope in the foreground, which was in fact the area, if you, looked, if you were able to look just a little bit to the left in the picture, you would see that, that the upper room is actually placed not very far from the bottom left of the picture. So, let's think about these smaller-sized groups of Bible fellowships and small groups. During Bible fellowships, we're the body of Christ in a medium-sized setting. That appears, by the way, to be an important relationship of human beings in groups from 30 to 120 in size. For example, in Exodus 18, Moses divides the groups of people into hundreds and fifties. In Luke chapter 9, there was the feeding of the 5,000, but Jesus told the disciples to divide them into groups of about 50 each. He sends out 72 followers ahead of Him. And in Acts chapter 1, The first church was a group of about 120. So apparently this connection and organization and mission of this size group uniquely aids the maturing process in Christ in a way that merely gathering in the large group does not accomplish. The one another's of the Bible get lived out in this context. Now, if you wanna ask why Bible fellowships, which is the name that we attach to this, And by the way, it's for children and teens and adults. We all use the same language for all of them. The reason we use that language isn't because we're some cult. (laughs) The reason we use the language is so that everybody knows that everybody's on the same pathway. Okay? That's the only reason. But why do we do that? Because each person benefits from a larger community. Because life issues get connected with the Scriptures in that context. Because each person needs to know that they matter and are known, it's where you know one another's names. Because our Lord saw that this size group was important. Because the excellence of Bible teaching is important to our soul's health. And because the sense of group mission leads some of these groups to meet together. That's Bible fellowships. And then there are small groups. There's a depth of knowing in relationship that is only achievable in these very small settings of 10 to 12 people. Life can get messy and being authentic and open about our messes is usually reserved only for our closest relationships. Sharing joys, struggles, the sorrows of life with other believers should be your experience and we want you to have that. During our small groups were the body of Christ in the small group size setting. This too is an important size for the purpose of maturing in Christ. Jesus, for example, called 12 disciples in order that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Several times in the New Testament, we are told of churches that meet in people's homes. The struggles of life cannot be overcome alone. Did you know that? You might be dealing with some huge problems May I encourage you to get plugged into a small group where you can bear one another's burdens. The mission to make disciples can't be accomplished alone. The small group's a wonderful ministry to the believer. The community that can happen in a small group is unmatched. Now, small groups here at East White Oak vary in their basis for meeting. Some of them meet due to geographical proximity. Some are gender-based or interest-based. And some are based on station in life. Some are small groups that last for a long time. Others are for a a specific period of time. Regardless, the mission of the small group is to make disciples. It means that small groups aren't static. Did you know that there's a lifespan to a small group? Hopefully, small groups invite invite others to join them until they need to divide into two groups, having been a training ground for creating new leadership. We need to avoid feeling so comfortable in our own small group that our sense of mission to make disciples gets lost to such an extent that we're unwilling to add more to our group and we are unwilling to multiply groups by dividing into two small groups. Now, folks are welcome to join more than one small group, but everyone should belong to at least one, knowing And being known and being on mission for God happens in a small group like nowhere else. So, as we are entering into a season in our culture where increasingly Christians are thought of as the enemy, it is so important for you to be in relationship. In the large group context here, in worship, in the medium-sized group of our Bible fellowships, and in a small group context. I believe you need it. But, may I suggest one other reason for you to engage in our pathways to discipleship. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, did you know that we need you too? We need your gifts. We need your thoughts, your contributions, your diving into other people's lives. You're helping them. You're praying for them. It's not just that you need it. The church needs you too. I've puzzled over this question. Why do we lack the power of the first church? Well, it seems to me that we need a renewed commitment to the principles by which the the first church functioned. You know there's no need for us to... Back up here just a second there's no need for us to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's already here indwelling His people. In fact, we might say that the Holy Spirit is the one who is waiting, waiting for us to commit to these principles. Now, I've tried to figure this out. It's not an easy calculation. But I've tried to figure out um, what percentage of our people are involved in all three pathways. Now, certainly a much higher percentage is involved in two of the three. But as nearly as I can tell, and this is even including people who are working in our children and teen Bible fellowships as active in a Bible fellowship, because they are, um, we have about 22% of our adults in our church that are engaged in all three of these pathways. So, we have opportunity for growth. And I lay it before you that as our world gets increasingly difficult to live in, we need one another in these kinds of life-giving relationships that were exactly part of the same kind of life that the folks in the first church experienced. So here we are, seeking to be worshipers, maturing in Christ, rooted in Scripture, growing in Christ, making disciples, by means of Sunday worship, Bible fellowships, and small groups. We're not event driven. We're not program driven. We are relational pathway driven because we're committed to growing relationships in the body. If you're new to us, may I invite you to an ABF and to sign up to participate in a small group. If you've been here for a long time, Join an adult Bible fellowship and sign up to engage in a small group. Now, we have all kinds of announcements about stuff that happens here at East White Oak, programs and events. We're going to have one today, for example, about the Samaritan Purse shoebox ministry. But please, 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 do not let all these shout at you with the same volume. There's a great deal that you can do if you have the margin for it in your life. But we've crafted our ministry here as, so that you will grow in our focus and our vital signs by means of our pathways. We see this as a biblical way of organizing things. Now, is it the only biblical way to do so? No, no. But it is the course that our elders have charted out for us. Can you make this focus your focus? These vital signs, your vital signs, these pathways, can you give them a try? We're doing the same pattern in our children's and teen ministry. We even try to give them the same language so that people are thinking that there's a same pathway that we're working on, the same ministry for your infant through your teenager. We're calling the church to two hours on a Sunday morning and then engage in a small group of some kind. Today, I have set before you the First Church and East White Oak Bible Church. The spirit here is so good, and the Lord is giving us growth, and I believe that our greatest days are yet ahead for us. Will you join us in this focus, seeking to be worshipers maturing in Christ, rooted in Scripture, growing in Christ, making disciples? By joining together as we worship, being active in our Bible fellowships, and enjoying the intimacy of caring for one another in our small groups. My heart is full today as I look out at you. I love you deeply. My longing is similar to the Apostle Paul's. I long for Christ to be formed in every one of us. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of looking at this text and seeing where we're at as a church. And we pray that you would guide us in the days ahead. Lord, if there's anything that I have shared today that would come across as legalistic or giving rules, would you dismiss that right out of people's minds? But if there are ways in which your Spirit is speaking and is at work in people's hearts, would you take my words and use them? Use them for your glory, to help people to greater worship of you. For you are worthy. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.